0: Welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're here for the first time or you have been visiting with us recently, maybe uh, the last two Sundays, and you haven't had a chance yet, I want to invite you to meet Clay. Is that... Clay, are you at the table over there today? Clay will be at this little uh, kiosk over here after worship this morning or after our corporate worship, and I invite you to meet him afterwards. Uh, He will not uh, inundate you with things. Just want to give you a little packet of information about who we are as a church. We are... um, We're not the best church in town. I don't think there is such a thing. I think we're all different. And if you're looking for a church home, I think you should look around. And I want to encourage you to ask what they believe, ask what they're about. This little bag is in some way trying to capture who we are for you to give you sort of a shortcut to figuring out who Crosspoint is. So we don't don't want to give you the impression that we think we're the best in town because it may not be where God wants you. And that's okay. We celebrate having the chance to share our morning together. If this is your first and your last visit, it really is a treat for us. So let me pray, and then we're going to climb into our message this morning. God, this morning, first of all, I want to pray for another church nearby. I want to pray for Oasis Church in Caddo. I want to pray for the uh, pastor, Barney Huey, and for his wife, Cindy. Lord, I want to pray. Um, having ch- the chance to having had the chance to meet Him yesterday and um, to celebrate a wedding with Him, Lord, I'm thankful for what I heard from Him yesterday. Uh, um, a wedding sermon that pointed toward You, and I'm thankful that we have a brother right down the road that is preaching the Word and is leading uh, people to what's true about You. Lord, I I pray for uh, Barney and Cindy that they would be blessed in their marriage. I pray that the um, the work of ministry would not be something that that places their marriage second behind ministry but something that would be uh, fueled by their marriage and um, fueled by worship in their marriage. Lord, I pray that they would enjoy you as they enjoy each other first and foremost and that the ministry to the church would flow out of that. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for the chance to uh, to bump into him yesterday and to share at least a couple hours together celebrating a new marriage and new wedding, or a wedding and a new marriage, Um, and I'm thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. Lord, if there's any way that we can come alongside them, even if it's just as simple as us praying for them this morning, pray that we would be attentive to that, that we would be um, encouraging them in the work of um, making your name famous in Caddo. Lord, in regards to how we spend these next few minutes, I... um, Pray that you would guide us, uh, that we would enjoy uh, three beautiful illustrations of what we are now in Christ, um, or because of what Christ has accomplished for us, uh, what you have achieved and are working. I uh, just give this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me pray for, uh, you know, I meant to pray also for those who are grieving the loss of a family member who was lost. Uh, who died in the service of our country. I, I want to be very specific. Memorial Day is for those who died. Y'all know that, right? When folks, I, I appreciate the folks saying, hey, I really appreciate your service on today, but save that for Veterans Day because I'm, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, everything's going on right here. I got a little pulse going. I'm being facetious to kind of, to help, help you understand the difference. Uh, today is a day that we want to really, uh, or this weekend, would be a good time for us to remember and maybe even reach out to folks who've lost somebody that died in the service of our country. So let me, I meant to pray about that, so let's pray. God, we're thinking about some of those uh, families, uh, maybe even folks that might be connected to us right now that are grieving the loss of a friend or a family member uh, who died in the service of our country. I'm uh, thankful for men and women who are willing to sacrifice all, uh, Lord, I'm thankful for uh, families who also made a tremendous sacrifice in sending uh, their son or daughter, or husband or wife, uh, or maybe even their parent into harm's way. And Lord, we are thankful for their service. Uh, we pray that that this weekend that they would be blessed. Uh, and ultimately, Lord, I pray something specific and unique that their loss, uh, if they don't know you, would send you or send them in your direction. That their grief and their pain and their suffering would be something that you would use uh, like like you're able to do to take a heartbreak and turn it into a wonderful uh, ending, that you would lead them into fellowship and relationship with you. Lord, I'm uh, thankful for the opportunity to lift them up today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We spent the last two weeks... In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through this morning, we're going to be finishing in verse 22. We're going to finish out the second chapter today. second chapter of Ephesians may be my favorite chapter in the Bible. I think it's the most complete development of the gospel uh, that I know of in 22 verses. Uh, But we're going to be spending this morning in the second half of that with a couple of brief looks in the first half. But let's begin first. In verse 11, I would like to read through verse 18. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... Thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. In some ways, the last couple of weeks, um, I, I, I hate the, the thought that some of you may be visiting for the first time this morning and may have missed the last two weeks. So I want to invite you after this morning to go back and listen. I think it would be the, the rest of the conversation. I think this morning will stand alone, but uh, you'll, you have missed out on what we've done these last two weeks. Really what I think is the hard work of exposition getting us to where we will land the plan the, the plane today. We've considered in these last two weeks this beautiful second half of the gospel is what we called it. If the first half of the gospel is often... Uh, considered it an often well-known this reconciliation between us and our creator. This last 2 weeks we've dealt with the second part of the good news that we've been reconciled one to another for those who are in Christ. God made two groups, Jews who were the near and Gentiles who were the far off, and he made them one. The most unlikely candidates for oneness that anybody could possibly think of. In some ways, what God did for us in taking Jew and Gentile and united them, uniting them is he bracketed for us. He bracketed this far-off possibility between Jew and Gentile, making them one, to give the rest of us hope that we fall within there, that something can work out if we're in Christ. And that might be good news for a man and a woman who are married to one another who are trying to figure out how to not choke one another it happens and they can both be in Christ and be encouraged today knowing that peace was won for you it was achieved for you and the matter is now just to how to walk in it it can be good news for a man and a woman it can be good news for two friends who are crossways with one another, but who are both in Christ, you can know that you fall well within those brackets of Jew and Gentile so that you can work through whatever differences you might have. It might be brother and sister. It might be workmates. It might be whoever you might be crossways with. If the two of you or the group of you are in Christ, he has already won union and oneness for you. So there is hope for everybody. This morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be applying what we've considered these last couple of weeks. So this sermon this morning is going to be heavy on application because the passage lends to that. What you're going to see in these next few verses where we spend this morning, verses 19 through 22, is what you're going to see is a beautiful picture of three applications of the far off, the Gentiles, and the Jews, the near, being made one. You're going to see three beautiful applications, but first I want to start with some show-and-tell. Am I okay with that? I even brought my laser pointer. I don't really need it for what I'm about to do, but it just gives me an excuse to use it, and I have a little kitten now. I'm a cat guy. You may not know that. I've never been a cat guy, but I have a little kitten now that I really think is cool, even though it's a little pagan. Cats are always going to be pagans, and I want to play with it later. So I'm part of the reason I have it this morning, so... All right, I want to just show you a few pictures of some ancient stone structures. Okay, I'm not really going to say a whole lot about these at this point, but toward the end of the message, you're going to see why I'm showing you these toward the beginning. Okay, this first uh, structure here, this and the next one, go ahead and show the next one. We're both taken in, I asked uh, Jake if I could share this, they're taken in Chechnya, in the Caucasus Mountains, the North Caucasus Mountains, when... Uh, Morris and Luke and I visited there last summer to visit with the Hucks. These structures they believe are possibly as old as 8,000 years old. Okay? And as as the story goes for the Chechens they believe that Noah landed in the mountains up there and that his families or the families of, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth that they moved down, they sort of settled downward and uh, moved progressively through the mountains there and eventually landed in building cities. But this is sort of the intermediate step where in the mountains, Jake drove us up up to the mountains in a four-wheel drive and it took a four-wheel drive with like sheer drops off the side. I didn't breathe for a few hours of that drive. And Jake was talking and turning his head and looking at me and I thought, we're going to (laughs) die. But these structures, you can see the little petroglyphs on there, these little crazy little signs that they made. Go back to that first one. Yeah, they're kind of cool. They have all kind of little designs. There was a city of these, and they believe this potentially is as old as 8,000 years old, which if you believe in sort of a time frame, I guess the time frame that I would hold to of a flood, worldwide flood, to be about eight to 10,000 years ago, then this would fit. It would make sense that they would land in the peaks, and they would make their way down. They would build some villages. They would farm, and then they would eventually move down further into cities. Okay, go to the third slide there. All right, this is in Ireland. Okay, this, these, you're gonna, you're gonna think these have no connection at all, but you'll see that they have a connection later on in the morning. This is a, uh, go ahead and hit the next one too. This is a castle, as you can tell, and these things are littering Ireland everywhere you go. You're driving around Ireland trying to figure out to drive on, on the, the left side of the road without running over somebody or being run over, and, but you look out over the countryside and these ruins are everywhere and you can just drive right up to them, get out of your car and walk right up to them and climb all over them. They're not defaced, there's no graffiti on them, people are having picnics or they might be climbing around on them and it's just really a cool setting. It's what you would think Ireland would be but the thing I want you to notice is that this is also an ancient, we could call somewhat ancient, Um, not as old as that first one, not by a mile But a stone structure. Now this one has mortar in it. The mortars long since decayed, but they used mortar to build castles. The first thing I showed you did not have mortar. Okay, that'll be important later. Okay, go ahead and hit the next one. Now this is also in Ireland. This and the next three pictures are something that's called a ring fort. These things are not, uh, well, you could call them ancient. They think they go back maybe potentially thousands of years. The newest of the ring forts is about a thousand years old. Okay, and the ring forts, go ahead and hit the next picture. You could go inside of them, and they built little uh, stairwells where you could come up to the top of the ring fort, but they would live in the center of them, and it's the way they would defend themselves. This is in Ireland. I don't know if this is the the Gauls or the Celtic people or whoever it was that was living in these structures, but go ahead and hit the the last one. They all lived in these things, and um, it's just kind of how they how they did life. But the thing that I want you to notice about this one, as this picture as well as the others, and you can leave that picture up here just for a moment while I share these thoughts, these seed thoughts for later in the morning. These pictures, what they have in common is that they are fitted together stones that are either shaped or placed in a way that works and fits together. Okay. The the castle's the only one that used mortar. This one didn't use mortar either. Okay, the second thing I want you to just as seed thought is these stones were chosen for their shape, selected even. Seed thought for later in the morning. And the third thing, there's a lack of uniformity in these stones. Notice how different they are. Here, I get to use my Look, see how different this one is, this big guy, than these little wee ones right here? Totally different shapes, okay? They're not uniform. And the fourth thought, there's an integrity that lasts through the ages. An integrity that lasts through the ages. And the proof is on the picture right behind me. Okay, you can shut the pictures down. All right. Now, what we're going to do this morning, and those are seed thoughts and seed images that we're going to come back to later on in the morning. Okay, what we're going to do in these next few minutes is we're going to move through verses 19 through 22. All right, beginning in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Just a basic, simple unpacking of this passage. And then we're going to look at these three beautiful illustrations that God provides through Paul. First, an unpacking. So then, that word actually in Greek can also be translated consequently. Consequently, because God has united Jew and Gentile and made them one people. Or in light of... God making Jew and Gentile one people and earning through Christ horizontal reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. In light of the far being brought near and made a new raceless race is the term we used last week. You Gentiles are no longer aliens or strangers. You're no longer subject to those five terrible things that we considered two Sundays ago. Instead, you are three things. And this is where we're going in these next few minutes. Your fellow citizens is the first thing. Your fellow citizens. If you're making an outline for the morning, that's the first place we're going to go briefly. Second place we're going to go very briefly is your members of God's household. Okay? We're going to spend brief, just a few moments on each of those. And then we're going to spend most of our time on the third illustration here that you are God's house. You are God's house. House, As a result of Jew and Gentile being made one, your fellow citizens, your members of his household or his family, and you are God's house. Let's begin with the first one, God's citizens. Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Take in the message here of what's being communicated. The Gentiles now are fellow citizens with the saints from ages past with Christ believing Jews. And we as Gentiles, 2,000 years later, can consider that we are part of that equation, that we have been built into this new citizenship. We together are part of God's kingdom. Now, I told you I'm just going to spend a brief moment on these first two. But here's a thought on this first one regarding being God's citizens of his kingdom. First, just consider this. I'll share a little testimony with you. There have been times over the years when I was especially proud to be an American. One, I can say that probably the most prominent moment that I remember of being American where I was proud was when I was commissioned in 1990 as a Marine lieutenant. It was a special day for me. Christy was there, in fact. We had just started kind of hanging out, and she was there. She was a witness to that. It was a special day for me. I was proud to be an American then. I was proud to be an American when I served alongside other men wearing a U.S. flag on our shoulders on tattered camis in foreign lands. I was proud to wear that flag. I was proud to be an American. Another time that I was really proud to be an American, and this is no joke, and yearly is on our July the 4th parade right here in Greenville, Texas. Right on Park Street. I, and I'm not kidding to you. I'm not kidding with you. And I'm not joking with you. I love being an American on those days where you can see the craziest stuff in the world pass by you in a matter of a few minutes. Some of the coolest cars, some of the funniest things you will ever see, flags, proud Americans passing in front of uh, the Fields House or the Money's House right there on Park Street. It is a special event. And when you consider, too, that, that you could, might even see uh, a Great Dane with a little monkey on his back. <laughs> Proud to be an American right there. That is middle America right there. But I must admit, right now I'm struggling some with my citizenship. It's testimony. I don't know where you are. But I'm as, I have to admit, I'm struggling a little bit with being an American right now. I'm not in league with some of these actors that are threatening to go move to other countries if somebody's elected to office, which personally I'm going, move, go for it. I'm not in league with those guys that are ready to move. But I do find myself at this time struggling some with my citizenship. I am frankly surprised at who our supposed best candidates for president are, period. I'm not going to tell you what my personal thoughts are, just that I'm not really happy however this thing lands. I'm struggling a little bit with my citizenship. And here's the reality: if this were my only or primary citizenship, I probably wouldn't be sleeping very much at night. I would probably be angry half the time, with lots to offer anybody in the conversation. I would probably have lots of angst about this matter right now, but here's the reality. I'm encouraged by the fact that my primary citizenship is not here, and nor is yours if you're in Christ. Amen? Man, that should give the people of God this collective exhale right now. While the rest of our country is is, is experiencing experiencing this crazy angst, the reality for us is that our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom that will not be shaken. Period. And the king of this kingdom never leaves office. Never has to be reelected, And he never disappoints. And whatever angst that you might feel in this season as an American that should pale in comparison to the peace that you feel knowing that he's made you citizens of an eternal kingdom. That's good medicine and timely. The second thing, we're members of God's family. This is also found in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been far from God and gathered up, were not only made citizens in His kingdom, we're actually made family members in His house. I want you to take that in for a moment. Let me read a passage to you that's just a few verses earlier, and then take in this shocking reality with me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse one. Listen to this. This is your story, and it's my story. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and not only that, you were enemies of God, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That doesn't mean we're walking around all wrathful and angry. Being children of wrath means that we are deserving of the wrath of God. Think about that for a minute. Now let me read verse 19 again. So then... You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer children of wrath. You're no longer by nature dead in your trespasses and sins. You're no longer in this unbelievable crossways position with your Creator, but your fellow citizens and saints and your members of the household of God. Just consider and enjoy that shocking contrast with me. Now, let me land this for you, at least these first two points. It is more important, or what is more important than your citizenship in the U.S. is your citizenship in God's kingdom. And what is more important than your family name, I love being a McGraw, and I bet some of y'all love being Wade's, or Odds, or Simmons, or Joneses, or whoever you might be. Man, enjoy that. Take pride in who you are. But see your identity first and foremost as a member of his family. Even over your family name. We are citizens of his kingdom first. And we are members of his family first. Covenant will always be thicker than blood. Covenant is thicker than blood. Now... Where we're going to spend the rest of our morning is on this third illustration because it's where Paul gives most of the airtime. The third illustration being that because the far was brought near and the Jew and Gentile were made one, we are God's house. It's where we're going to spend these next few minutes. The metaphor shifts from being members of God's household or his family to actually being built into his house. Being built in the stones. Of his house, that we are the stones, the structure of a house that he is building. You see the shift in metaphor there. It's a metaphor that's familiar to Peter. Peter said, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. It's a familiar thought for the apostles. Apparently, both Paul and Peter recognized the beauty of being built into his house. In these next few minutes, we're gonna deal with three things about his house first the foundation secondly the formation and third the function like any good sermon there it's alliteration they all have to start with F to help you remember them foundation formation and function we're going to take these next few minutes and take a good look at this house first of all dealing with the foundation What does he say there in verse 20? You're built on that. this people, this house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Who are these men? They're the same men that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. It's those apostles and those prophets. It's the same men that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. These groups of men, first of all, the apostles. Let me tell you who these guys are. It's an easy one. The apostles recounted the message and the works of the Lord as they witnessed them. They had to be an eyewitness to Christ For at least a portion of his ministry are at some point, as Paul was, for example, on the Damascus Road. There were 13 of these guys, these apostles. And they also had the collateral duty of taking the church where the church wasn't. These guys were church planters. They were missionaries. And there might be people now that have apostolic-type work. But the apostles died with likely John being the last of them. The last to die, the oldest. Okay? Those are the apostles. Now for the prophets. The prophet was one who was gifted by the Holy Spirit with truth speaking for the purpose of edification. We're talking about, in this case, New Testament prophets. They had a lot of similarities with Old Testament prophets, but they're not the same. We're talking about New Testament prophets here that had the the role and the responsibility of, through their message, bringing comfort and encouragement as well as understanding as they communicated the mysteries and the revelation of God to the church. Now, here's why prophets were important in the early church. When the canon or the Bible was incomplete, okay, Paul is writing letters over an expanse of time. Other people are writing letters over the expanse of time. It wasn't complete, and a brand new church that someone may have planted didn't have all the New Testament that we have. So a prophet would serve a very important role. In light of an incomplete canon, the prophets may very well have received revelation to complete what was needed so that the early church could grow up in maturity even though the scriptures weren't available to them. A prophet had a unique and special role. Now what does this mean that they are the foundation for this house that God is building? What does it mean that the apostles and prophets are the foundation? Here's three questions that I posed. There's the questions. Did the apostles and prophets lay the foundation? Are the apostles and prophets actually physically in the foundation? Or third, is it their message that is the foundation for the church or the house of God? I would say yes, yes, and yes. Turn to the only passage I'm having you turn to this morning in 1 John chapter 1. Keep a finger in Ephesians chapter 2 because we're going to be taking a close look at that this morning. But I want you to look at a passage in 1 John with me. I'll give you a minute to turn there. The questions we're dealing with is: are the prophets and, and apostles laying the foundation? Maybe through their work or their efforts? Are they themselves metaphorically, figuratively the foundation? Or is it their message that is the foundation for God's house? Listen to this in 1 John, beginning in um, the first chapter, verse 1. This is a, a, an apostle writing these words. Okay? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes. I think in some ways he's speaking on behalf of the apostles here. Or at least he's speaking on behalf of the apostles. He may be speaking in terms of others who are eyewitness to Christ, but he's speaking, sounding like he's speaking for the apostles. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it May be complete. You're hearing a testimony from an apostle right here in some way speaking on behalf of the other apostles where you cannot differentiate between this man and his message. He is his message. So I think we can ask and answer those questions and say, yes, yes, and yes, the prophets and apostles laid the foundation. The apostles and prophets are the foundation and the apostles and prophets are the message. It's impossible to separate these men from their message. So consider this, a departure from their message means a departure from the men and a departure from the foundation. I'm going to share a passage with you from the book of Galatians. I want to just encourage you right now if you sort of like, man, I'm kind of, you know, kind of sleepy, kind of disconnected right now, I've had a hard time maybe listening to connect to what I'm about to share with you, to maybe wake up. Maybe if your, your wife is sitting right next to you, she can elbow you and help you stay awake in these next few minutes. Because what I just said is frighteningly easy to, uh, to happen. It can happen to anyone, and likely it's happening to people all the time that we depart from the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and their message Listen to this in the book of Galatians. I'll share a passage with you here from Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. The Galatian church, it's interestingly enough, we've had some pictures of, the, of Irish, uh, Ireland up here on the wall. The, the, the Gauls, or the Galatians, were the folks that became the Scotch-Irish. Okay, We're talking about the people that settled the land that we just looked at in some of these pictures. Not the Chechnya picture, but the Ireland pictures. We're talking about this early church that Paul planted. And look in verse, or listen to verse 6 of chapter 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We're talking about a first generation church that was planted by the apostle Paul. And they're already turning to another gospel. You think it's not possible for us, 2,000 years later, I didn't plant the, I, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm the guy that planted this church along with some other guys. but I'm not Paul. If you don't think it's possible to part, to depart from the gospel, realize this happened in the first few years of the existence of the church. They had already departed from the gospel that Paul preached. He said, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, to that foundation that I laid, is what Paul's saying, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed accursed. Paul is very blunt with this people. In, in the third chapter, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Man, the reason I want to take a moment and consider this is Paul is, is dealing with something that can happen to any of us. It could be happening all over Greenville in churches all over Hunt County where a foundation that has been laid or should have been laid in an apostles and Prophets has been departed from and could be preaching a contrary gospel. Man, I want you to understand. I want you to stand with me in this, realizing that Christians are to be hard-headed when it comes to our message. We are to be hard-headed and even obstinate when it comes to the content of our message. Man, be loving in every other way. Be giving and, and, and just um, amendable in every other way but not in your message. And Paul said, let him be accursed who departs from this foundation that's laid by the apostles and prophets. We should be all things to all people except soft and flexible with our message. Christians believe that the foundation that we're built on is the only true foundation for God's house. It's timeless and it's non-negotiable. If you have the thought, man, I don't want to share something that's really hard with someone because they may, they may, it might scare them away from the gospel, it might scare them away from God, and you're, you're waffling on truth, you're, you're taking them to a contrary gospel altogether. You're not taking them to good, life-altering news. Just consider the sure foundation that's offered in Ephesians chapter 2. If, you're, if you're, you're still there, just consider it. Look in verse 1. You're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now in work in the sons of, dis- sons of disobedience. He goes on to say we are all by nature children of wrath. If you hear a preacher or hear a teacher that waffles on that reality, that apart from Christ, you're dead on your best day morally, in terms of your standing with your creator, If you as a parent waffle on that, you could be preaching and teaching a contrary gospel to your children. It is part of a sure foundation. It's right here coming from an apostle. You are dead in your trespasses and sins on your best day. If you hear a teacher or an evangelist or a preacher, let me even qualify it a little bit more to kind of expand this out. I got myself in all kind of trouble with this reality. If you're a singer... A Christian music singer, and you're soft on this reality that apart from Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are departing from the gospel that the apostles and prophets laid. Paul says, "You're accursed. I didn't call I didn't curse anybody, but I might as well have. Paul says, "You're accursed if you're departing from these sorts of realities, this kind of foundation that God. But God made us alive together with Christ. But God raised us up and seated us with Christ. And it's not your own doing. On your best day, the best of you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid. And we're to be obstinate and hard-headed about that message. We don't waffle on that, even with people that we love and care about. You're not loving the people if you waffle on those sort of realities. You might be loving yourself more than you're loving the people because you don't want to deal with some sort of conflict or you don't want to walk through something hard. And look, at so this... Developing more a good foundation. Verse 10 is where the good works fit in. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See where the good works fit into the salvation story. They're in verse 10 with nine whole God-working verses in front of it. That's where good works fit in. If you hear a teacher or a preacher or an evangelist or anyone that's teaching a message, a moral message from a pulpit or in a classroom... They're departing from the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. Man, our morality is in response to our salvation, not earning or even maintaining our salvation. Absolutely are we to be doing good works, but it's in response to what has been done for us. If you hear anyone that distorts the message by departing from the order, then they're preaching a contrary gospel and a contrary message, and they departed from the foundation of God's house. Man, you think it's not easy. It happens all over. It happens all over. It can happen here. We want to guard this pulpit. We want to guard those classrooms. We want to hold each other accountable in the lessons that we teach and preach. That's why you can't teach in a children's classroom until you're a member, until you're accountable. And we can say, what are you teaching? Because it matters. It's not Christian to be vague about what we believe. Man, it's the foundation for this house, what the apostles and prophets taught. Christianity is not a cool vibe where we just love one another and get along together, but we're not concerned with little pesky definitions and pesky doctrines. Those definitions and doctrines are where we stand. Man, we're to be hard-headed and obstinate about those. If we want to invite others into this house, man, this house better be built on a firm foundation of what the apostles and prophets taught, even if it might be some unpopular bits. We're going to deal with an unpopular bit here in a minute. But we can do it because it's a sure foundation. Okay? This house is built on the apostles and prophets and their message. And it's also built with Christ as the cornerstone. Part of the foundation is Christ. This cornerstone was not laid on the foundation. It was part of the foundation. That's the way they built these structures. And the cornerstone was what everything else was built in reference to. It's part of the foundation, and it's the measure for every other part of the structure. Listen to this passage from Isaiah. You can jot this down and look at it later if you'd like. It's a beautiful prophetic passage about the role of Christ. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. This foundation stone was set at the angle of structure by which the architect fixes a standard for the bearings of all the walls and the cross walls throughout. Everything else was built in reference to this cornerstone. And using the language of Isaiah there, it's the stone of testing. So if you with me are believing you're built into this house that we've been talking about today, then you have to realize the stone of testing is not what kind of rock you are whether you're just the right shape or just hard enough or just moral enough or if your nose is clean and your hair is parted just so. Thankfully, the stone of testing for whether or not you're built in this house is the cornerstone, period. That's got to be good news for every single person in this room realizing that he is the measure for your salvation, not you. And the only question is, are you in him by faith or not? Are you in him and united to him by faith or not? That's the only test, that's the only question on the test. Are you his or not? There's no other measure, there's no other standard. He's the stone of testing for every stone in the house. Verse 21 alludes to that in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom the whole structure, it is in Christ that the whole building rests or has its grounding. Every stone is tested and placed according to Christ's work as the cornerstone. And now, I think in some ways the most beautiful portion of this this message, at least in terms of visual portion gets in this next section these words being joined together being joined together is a word that Paul actually made up in Greek it was not a word that they found in any other Greek literature before Paul Paul apparently coined this word that means harmoniously fitted together that God's house is made up these stones and they are harmoniously fitted together Today, that may be something hard for us to conceptualize because today we typically use mortar and we typically use these uniform-shaped objects called bricks that need mortar, by the way, because they're all uniformly shaped. But in those days, there was no concept of that. There was no mortar for building. So stones were fitted together through an elaborate process of cutting and shaping and determining what went where. It's smoothing in some cases so that they fit exactly and perfectly next to one another and on top of one another and beside one another. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a guy that I enjoy reading. He preached um, for years in Ephesians and has a series of books from Ephesians. And here's a quote from his dealing with this passage. Have you ever seen a real craftsman the old type type of mason at work. He's asking a question that maybe in England, where he's a pastor, people could visualize that. It's not something that typically we've observed. But you can kind kind of get it from where he goes. You can almost visualize it. Have you ever watched him building a wall? Have you ever seen him pulling a stone out of a heap of stones and looking at it and then at his wall and finding that it's not suitable, throwing it away? And picking out another, which he trims and then places in position. That is the picture the apostle is using. Fitly framed together. Individual stones being added to and placed in position in a wall. Three beautiful applications or illustrations come from that imagery of this ancient mason placing stones in a wall first of all deals with this maybe unpopular bit called election that the apostles and prophets taught first considering election also from Martin Lloyd Jones he said the ancient mason has a heap of stones which have been carted to him he runs his eyes over them ah he says this will do he pulls out a stone and looks at it But he finally decides that, I won't do. He has to throw it back. He takes another. He may take several and reject them. And then eventually he finds and puts in the one that he wants. There's a personal and particular selection. Every stone is picked out and placed in position individually. And I'll add, intentionally, by the builder of the house. He's deliberate, he's personal, he's particular about his individual selection. Whether it's a popular bit or unpopular bit, Paul considers this beauty of election being in the first thing that he lists in the spiritual blessings in chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with a big list of spiritual blessings. And here's the first thing he lists. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Popular or not, the apostles and prophets taught it, so it is a good foundation. I'll stand there. If it's five of us standing there, we'll stand there. And we'll stand there, too, with about 1,900 years of the church it's only in the last hundred years or so that people have gotten really wrapped around the axle. Well, no, I should say it's been an unpopular thing since Martin Luther. But especially in our context, people start talking election and predestination and people start getting fidgety and when can I get out of here? The apostles and prophets taught it, so that's where I'll stand. Who's going to stand with me? It's good news for me. It's my only hope that he's the chooser Otherwise, if it's up to me choosing and me making the right choices, I'm done. I'm done. It's the best news I've heard. Second little image that we can draw from this work of the ancient Mason is the picture of unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. Notice in this picture that I have behind me. Have Y'all, y'all go ahead and put those up. Yeah, that, go, go ahead to... Uh, No, that's a good one. Yeah, keep it there. Notice in this picture behind me that all the stones aren't the same. Okay, notice that they're different. Some are large, bearing more weight, but others are small and specifically, here's the one I picked on earlier. There's the big boy and then I picked on a little guy over here and they all fit together. They all work together but they're different. Uniformity is not the goal in the church, in God's house. Instead, it's Unity. I'm thankful that the stones aren't identical. How dull that would be if we were all the same. The strength, though, consider this, comes in the imperfections and the ridges in, the, in one and the valleys in another. That's where the strength comes from. It's what creates an interlocking environment in the house. The imperfections in one articulate with the imperfections in another, He has shaped us for one another and placed us with one another so that we can fit closely together, having a wonderful strength together. And if the ancient masons could take such care with temporary structures, we can be assured that God has taken great care in fitting us together as we're being built into his house. The third little image here that I think is enjoyable is a picture of integrity together so you are living stones built into a wall meant to be connected to one another you are not just you and jesus a stone laying out in a field by itself you are built into a house designed to be connected to one another and the strength comes from the lack of uniformity but it also comes from an overlapping with one another consider how some of these Stones are placed where there's overlap. Just consider these images here for a minute as you're looking at these stones and how they're placed. Each individual stone rests on two or three of another. Look below each of these stones and you'll see some other stones, multiples in some cases, underneath. See, here's the reality. You're meant to stand on the shoulders of people who have poured into you And ministered to you over the years. That's a good thing. And I don't think there's a person in this room that would deny that that's a good thing. That you've got a couple of strong, heavy, healthy stones, two or three of these beautiful placements right underneath you that you stand on, strong, wide shoulders. But here's the reality that's not a terminal venture, it's not meant to be terminal. You're not meant to be just receiving and poured into and receiving and poured into. But if you'll notice what's on top of each stone, you'll see some other stones sitting on top of it. And the reality for each of you is that you are to be discipling and mentoring others. They're to be standing on your shoulders. You're not the end user of this good news. You're meant to perpetuate that work by giving others a place to stand. I like to speak especially to men. I, there's a message for women embedded within this, but I like to speak especially to men. Consider this, men, pointed directly at you. If you've taught your sons to be good Americans, it's not a bad thing. If you've taught your sons to take pride in their family name, it's not a bad thing. My dad told me over and over, over again when I was a kid. McGraw's never quit. And I remember that, and I appreciate that. That's a good thing. Dads, build that into your sons. Teach them to be good Americans. Teach them to have pride in their family name. If you've taught your sons to shoot straight, to throw long, to shave, to drive, but you haven't taught them where you stand and where to stand in regards to Christ, you've missed it. If that isn't what they have learned first and foremost from you, you have missed it. Men, you are citizens of God's kingdom first. You are members of his family first before you have your last name, whatever that might be and whatever pride you may take in it. That's what we're to teach our sons and our daughters. We're to build that into tomorrow's church. There are to be people standing on our shoulders. Man, some of y'all need to hear that. Maybe it's the first time today. Anybody that's in ministry for any period of time knows that there are these people that are like um, ministry multipliers. You pour something into them, and they, you see them pouring it out into many others. And then they are sponges. And I'm not being ugly in saying that. It's just a reality. There are some that are ministry absorbers. You never see a single bit of multiplication from them. They just absorb and take and absorb and take, and nobody's standing on their shoulders. Consider the construction of this house. It's the way it's meant to be. As you rest on others, they rest on you. Enjoy, too, that each stone is surrounded by others on the left and on the right. These things that we call life groups... We don't do a lot of stuff at Crosspoint. If you've been around for any period of time, you know that our bulletin doesn't have a lot of stuff in it. It's not our goal to offer you a sampling of 8 million things you can do over the course of the week. We want to be really good at a few things, and one of those few things is life groups because we see these stones placed next to one another, right up, jutting against, right next to one another, touching one another, and life group is a great way to do that where you're known and being known and knowing. Man, I just want to encourage you to realize you're not meant to go it alone or by yourself. Some of the folks that I've spoken about this morning that are sort of these ministry sponges, there's also another problem that's a really heartbreak, a significant heartbreak in ministry, the people that want to go it alone. And you see them from week to week. And some of you know who I am because they come and go and they speak to maybe a few people or not. And they never connect beyond this just attendance on Sunday morning. And that's a heartbreak for me. It's a heartbreak because you weren't meant to go it alone. You were meant to go next to one another. I want to encourage you, even if you're not a people person, even if you're an introvert, even if you have anxiety issues. These are the things that I've heard before of reasons why people don't want to know and be known. Even if it takes a lot out of you to meet new people. Okay? You are part of God's house, and he will help you work through that. He will help you work through that. You might be surprised to find many others with the same struggles. It's Satan that lies and said, you're the only person in the room that has that struggle. You're the only one. So go it alone. Insulate and isolate. See this structure and see the identity that you have as part of God's house. Next to one another. That's how it's meant to be. Lastly, for the function. The function of this house is in verse 22. Is to be a dwelling place for God. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All this that Christ accomplished. All, that, all this that God did through Christ. In verses 1 through 10, reconciling us to God. In verses 11 through 22, reconciling us, Jew and Gentile, to one another, all of this is for him. Now, that might seem obvious, but it's not obvious. All of this is for him. Let me change the terminology a little bit so you can get my point. Church is for him, not you. You see the point I'm making there? Church isn't for you. It's for him. Your gifting, your efforts, your work, your time, your attendance, all of it is for him. All that he's done is making a dwelling place for himself. Man, I want you to see that's a good foundation right there. That's a good place to stand in the way that you view church, that you stand with the apostles and prophets who taught us. If we're listening, the church isn't about you. You're not a special little snowflake. Okay, I don't want to undermine parents who might tell your children you're special. Our children are special. I've got three of them. They're special to me. And I think they're special in God's eyes. But that should not be the primary message we're building into tomorrow's church. It should not be the primary message that's taught from the pulpit. That you're a special little snowflake. That you're the center of God, or you're the center of the universe. Man, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. It's just not as right as God made you for his own glory and God made you for his own house. You are made for his purposes. far as for his house and for him. Don't be a consumer and think that this whole church thing is for you. Now... Let me pray, and we're going to distribute the elements and have supper together. And um, we'll continue in song. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for our time together in your word. We're thankful for these beautiful illustrations and images that you've given us for what has been accomplished through Christ, both vertically in reconciling us to you and horizontally in reconciling us to one another, that we have been made citizens of your kingdom that we have become members of your household, adopted with full rights and privileges, and that we have been built actually into your house, the place where you dwell. God, I pray that some of these images and these illustrations and these almost devotional thoughts have connected for some folks today. I pray for those who want to go it alone. Lord, I pray for conviction. I pray for Encouragement to step out in spite of everything in them saying continue alone, and to know and be known. Lord, I pray for those who see themselves as an end user, that today that maybe there was some conviction that it's not supposed to terminate on them, but they should be a place where other people are standing as well. Lord, I'm thankful for these beautiful images that you've given us. I pray that we'll see them. And walk in them. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's distribute the elements.